It's good to be with you opening up God's Word. It really is an honor to share with you what God has been teaching me, and hopefully it's something that helps you as well. Today we're going to be learning about the evangelist and the eunuch. And the big idea is that sharing the gospel with people is not always easy, nor is it natural. And God knows that, and He has given each of us the greatest power to accomplish the most rewarding job. So today our sermon is found in Acts chapter 26, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. So please turn there in your Bibles or on your electronic devices. And we're going to be learning about a man who is desperately searching for truth and another man who shared the truth with him. So let's look in our Bibles at Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the place to the south, to the south, to the road that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this is about? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, another name for that in your Bibles might be Ashdod. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and we ask that you would explain them to us through the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the main character in the previous chapter, Acts chapter 7, was Stephen, and he was one of the leaders of the early church. And he made a very courageous speech to the Jewish religious leaders. And on the day that Stephen was martyred, killed by people surrounding him and throwing stones at him until he died. On the day that Stephen was killed, this is what the Bible says happened. And then there was a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles were not scattered by this persecution. At the same time, we also read that Saul, the man who would later be Uh, converted to Christianity, and his name changed to Paul. Saul was persecuting the church and entering house after house and dragging off men and women who were Christ followers and throwing them into prison. 
The remaining Christ followers who were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria began to preach the gospel wherever they went. And that was the very beginning of the fulfillment of the command that was spoken by Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he said to his followers, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in other words, the Great Commission was now being accomplished, and it was launched through the persecution of the church. Now, sharing the gospel with people does not feel easy or natural to us. And I'm not going to sugarcoat you and tell you that it, it is or it should be. But here is what you may not have thought about. God knows that. God understands that it isn't easy for you and that it doesn't always come naturally. Now, maybe that surprises you that a pastor would stand in front of you and tell you that. God understood the problem so well that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and before he went back to heaven, he told his followers, don't go and share the gospel until the power of the Holy Spirit has come on you. And so it was after that that they became the witnesses. Now here's the good news for us today. We already have that power. We don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come because when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it was at that very moment that the Holy Spirit came into our lives. Now, as I said, I think that most Christians struggle with the responsibility that each of us has been given to be an effective witness for Jesus. We struggle with fear, mostly the fear of the unknown. Probably we're afraid that we're going to be asked questions that we don't know the answers to. Let me give you some examples. How could Moses have written the book of Deuteronomy when at the end of Deuteronomy it records the death of Moses? How could a dead man record his own death, right? Here's another one. How could Jesus have remained in the tomb for three days and three nights if he was crucified on Friday afternoon and resurrected on Sunday morning? Or you might be asked to explain the Trinity. Do Christians actually worship three gods? Or how about this one? Matthew 27, 5 says that Judas hung himself. But then in Acts chapter 1, verse 18, it says that Judas fell headlong and burst open. How can both accounts be true? Now, maybe you were blissfully ignorant before I brought all these examples up this morning. <laughs> but I, I'm not going to answer those questions from the pulpit this morning, but I did prepare an answer sheet for you. And so if you want the answers to those questions, you can go back to the hub and ask them for that document. And at the end, there's also uh, the, a copy of the book cover where I got those answers that has a lot more answers to difficult questions. And you can pick that up after the service. But also, let's face it, most of us are held back by some level of indifference. And by that, I mean that we simply don't care enough about other people to tell them the most important news that they will ever hear. Or perhaps we don't have a true understanding of the destination of someone who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ. Because all humans are either on a journey to heaven or a journey to hell. There is no limbo that people are in while they decide what they're going to do. So we make up all kinds of excuses for why we don't follow the direct command of Jesus, which was, be my witnesses. I know because I have the same struggles that you have. 
Now, Philip, one of Jesus' disciples and one of the leaders of the early church, might be the best example that we have in the book of Acts of somebody giving personal uh, one-on-one evangelism. He had left the security of the church in Jerusalem and had gone to a city in Samaria and was preaching the message of Jesus there. And the power of the Holy Spirit confirmed Philip's message with miraculous signs. Because of those powerful demonstrations, everybody was listening closely to what Philip had to say. The gospel message was having an incredible impact in that area. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Philip and told him to go south to a road leading from Jerusalem to Gaza. And the angel didn't tell Philip why he was supposed to go there. I find that interesting. Philip didn't know why he was going there. He didn't know that he was going to meet somebody there. He didn't know that he would have an opportunity to share the gospel with a person from another country. When you think about it, from Philip's perspective, it really didn't make any sense. Why would the angel of the Lord tell Philip to leave a place where he had a very successful ministry in a highly populated area and go to a lonely, possibly deserted road in the remote hill country? It doesn't make any sense to us, and it probably didn't make any sense to Philip either. But the angel of the Lord gave him clear directions, and Philip, to his credit, didn't demand reasons or try to correct the angel. He simply obeyed immediately. We're told that somewhere along that remote road, Philip saw an Ethiopian eunuch. And we know from historians that the religion of the Ethiopians was just as pagan as many of the other countries around them. But we're told very specifically that this unnamed eunuch had just returned from worshiping the God of the Jews in Jerusalem and that on the way back he had a scroll open from the, uh, the teaching of Isaiah the prophet and he was reading that. Now, not only was he reading it, but he was reading it aloud, which gave for a very easy opportunity for Philip to open a conversation with him. So the eunuch was reading from Isaiah, and it was a specific section that talks about this anonymous servant of God who acts on behalf of God's people. And in the last part of that passage, the servant suffers punishment for the sins of his people, despite his own personal innocence. Does that ring a bell? It does to us, doesn't it? That's talking about the Messiah. The passage even suggests a resurrection from the dead as a reward for his selfless sacrifice. And then the eunuch asks a really good question. He asks Philip, who is Isaiah talking about? Now, before we all say, well, duh, he's talking about the Messiah, we need to realize that Jewish theologians had been struggling with the the, uh, interpretation of this passage for a long time. The Jews in the first century thought very Uh, clearly that the Messiah was going to come as a warrior king and destroy all of their enemies and then set up an eternal throne on the king of David. That being their understanding, it completely ruled out any thought of the Messiah being this suffering servant. I mean, how could a dead man conquer their enemies and then set up an eternal throne? No one in Jesus' day had considered the possibility that the Messiah might actually die to save his people and then rise from the dead to be their forever king. Now, if this whole scene were taking place today instead of 2,000 years ago, 
I would almost expect the person playing the role of Philip to start by saying, well, you know, I'm no theologian, so I can't really answer your question uh, about who that suffering servant is. But that's not what Philip did. He answered the eunuch's question to the best of his ability. Now, that assumes that Philip had studied this passage before. He had prepared himself, and we should follow that example. Now, let me give you an illustration of being prepared. Quarterback Tony Rice led Notre Dame's football team to a national championship in 1988. Before the season, sports writers openly questioned the, uh, whether Notre Dame could beat the tough teams with a quarterback like Rice, whose passing was often inaccurate. What they didn't know was that his coach, Lou Holtz, had bought Rice a dartboard and told him to practice throwing darts for an hour a day. Rice didn't see how that was going to help his passing, but he did as his coach said, and soon his passes began to be much more accurate, and he was passing with more confidence, both of which were evidenced in a banner championship season. We as Christ followers should practice sharing a sentence or two of testimony, and we should be praying on a regular basis for God to put us in contact with people who are ready to hear the good news. And we should be asking God to help us become proficient in sharing. And any of these activities, when they are practiced, will improve. Second Timothy 4.2 from the easy-to-read version says, Tell everyone God's message. Be ready at all times to do whatever is needed. Tell people what they need to do. Tell them when they are doing wrong and encourage them. Do this with great patience and careful teaching. I think the main point of that verse is be ready at all times. Let me share with you some guidelines for being a witness. Philip's example offers several guidelines. I think, first of all, how to avoid becoming an obnoxious witness, an ineffective witness, or an apathetic witness. And I'm going to share five guidelines with you that I think will be helpful. The first one is to be sensitive. Put yourself in Philip's place. Here he is in the middle of an exciting, very successful ministry in Samaria. Lives are being transformed. People are being healed. And entire villages are turning to Christ. And then suddenly God says to him, leave all that behind and go to a lonely road in the middle of nowhere. And Philip didn't argue, resist, or even question God. He simply obeyed. An effective witness needs to keep a sensitive heart ready and willing to follow the Lord's prompting. Effective witnesses don't just suddenly arrive on the scene. They are led by the Holy Spirit who is also prompting the other person to create that opportunity. Here's guideline number two, be available. Sensitivity should be paired with availability. If you are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, then you should also be available for obeying by his prompting. Philip didn't question God's decision to move him from a large population with a great activity to a remote road. He simply obeyed. Philip recognized that it wasn't about him. He was merely a part of what God was doing. Do you need the spotlight shining on you in order to do something for God? Or are you willing to do whatever God asks and to go wherever he leads? Here's guideline number three. Be proactive. 
It takes initiative to break the barrier of silence. Now, we don't want to be obnoxious, but we can't always just lie back and wait for people to ask us for help because most people don't know what they don't know. Most people are confused by the whole subject of religion, and therefore they're hesitant about beginning a conversation. So connect on a personal level, looking for opportunities to address a need that they may have. Answer questions or clear up misunderstandings while remaining transparent about what you believe. Philip saw an opportunity in the man's reading material, and he asked the man a simple, non-threatening question. Do you understand what you're reading? Guideline number four, be tactful. We have to earn the right to ask people personal questions. We can do this by becoming a friend or by getting to know some people, by listening to what they have to say, or simply by showing interest as we listen to them when they talk. Pastor and author of Evangelism Explosion, D. James Kennedy, offers this illustration. He says, I once heard a man walk up to a woman and say, how are your kidneys today? (laughs) That's the truth. I actually heard the man ask her that question. And what was her response? I mean, did she hit him with her purse? No, this is what she said. Oh, they're much better today. Thank you, doctor. He said, I overheard these words in a hospital room. The doctor had earned the right to ask that kind of a personal question. He had earned that right, and if you doubt that, try stopping the next woman that you meet on the street and ask her about her kidneys and see what happens. Don't blame the unsaved person for being offended if you've been offensive. That individual has every reason to be offended. Earning the right to ask personal questions, and let's face it, spiritual questions are among the most personal and sensitive questions of all. That is the definition of tact. I've heard Pastor Greg Laurie tell about encountering a man in Hawaii who had the right message and zero tact. That man stood on a busy street yelling at people at the top of his lungs that they were going to hell. I'm sure a great many of them had not put their faith and trust in Jesus, and so they probably were, in fact, on their way to hell. But by the way that he was speaking to them, with a lack of tact a lack of love, and certainly a lack of compassion, nobody was listening to anything that he had to say. Guideline number five, be precise. Verse 35 states, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told the eunuch the good news about Jesus. He didn't get sidetracked into discussing theological issues. Uh, He didn't talk about the problems in the world that they faced that day. He didn't compare different religions, and there is a time and a place for all of those discussions, but that was not the primary objective that day. Here is what was primary at that time with that person and at that time, Jesus Christ and how we are to respond to him. Be tactful, but make sure you address the real issue. Now, let me give you an illustration of a modern-day missionary at McDonald's. This is from global missions expert Paul Borthwick. He shares the following story to remind us of how God's mission can be from anyone at any time and anywhere. He said there was a young man named Peter who reminded him of a modern-day Philip. 
Paul Borthwick had stopped into a McDonald's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and noticed Peter working at the counter. And he knew Peter because they went to the same church. He knew that Peter was involved in the young adults ministry. But he also knew that Peter had just recently earned a master's degree from Harvard University. So he greeted him and and managed to be able to spend a few minutes with him on a coffee break. And so Borthwick asked Peter, what are you doing here? Knowing that most people with a master's degree from Harvard don't aspire to work the counter at McDonald's. Well, he explained, I graduated in May, but I went for four months without finding a job. So I said to myself, I need to make some money to pay the bills. So this is where I ended up, at least for now. And Borthwick said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. It must be hard. But Peter cut him off. He said, no, don't be sorry. God has me here. This place is giving me awesome opportunities to share my faith. I'm on a shift that includes a Buddhist guy from Sri Lanka, a Muslim fellow from Lebanon, a Hindu lady from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my coworkers while asking Would you like fries with that? (laughs) And yes, I do. (laughs) He had a great attitude, and he was seeing the big picture. Let me share another illustration with you about when God prepares a heart. This is uh, from Dr. Jerry Root, who is the professor of evangelism at Wheaton College. And he shares this story about a time when his flight was delayed. He was on an international flight And he was kind of stuck for a while in the Vienna airport. He says, while my flight was delayed, I met a woman in the Vienna airport. She was wearing a lanyard with a name tag and carrying a clipboard and obviously taking a survey for the airport. When she came to me, I asked her what her name was. Allegra, she replied. Allegra, are you from Vienna? She answered, no, I grew up in southern Austria. With that answer came the permission to ask, what brought you to Vienna? And she said she was a student. This opened the door to more questions. Where did she go to school? What was she studying? Now, this reminds me of the story of when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, right? He just kept asking these questions that would draw her out and led to more questions and answers. He says, after 20 minutes or so, I knew a good deal about Allegra. I knew her mother had abandoned the family and went with her lover to Canada. She, he also learned that this had made her father very bitter, and it was causing toxic relationships within the family. He also learned that her brother also attended the University of Vienna, but that they weren't speaking with each other. He said, When I expressed my sadness for what seemed to be a good deal of estrangement from the people closest to her, she said it was far worse than she had told me. She said that she had a boyfriend and that he had gone to um, Florence to study art and he had asked her to wait for him. And then the very day before this survey interaction was taking place, he had returned to tell her that he had met not somebody else, but very specifically to say, I met somebody better. He says, I knew God was wooing her. And how he was wooing her. Because I knew the deep need where Allegra was likely to hear the gospel. After 20 minutes, she had not even asked a single question on the survey. I said to her that I knew she had a survey to fill out, but that I had been sent to tell her something. 
She then wondered if I was a plant put there by the airport to see if she was doing her job. I assured her it was nothing like that, but I had something to say to her once the survey was finished. So she rushed through the airport survey and then put down her pen and looked me in the eye and eagerly asked, what were you supposed to tell me? Knowing that Allegra felt abandoned and betrayed, I said to her, Allegra, the God of the universe knows you and he loves you. He would never abandon you or forsake you. And he said, I said it to her again, Allegra, God loves you. Sometimes it takes three times before the truth sinks in. And so I said it again, Allegra, he loves you. After the third time, she burst into loud sobs. And everyone in the gate area was looking in our direction. Through her tears, Allegra blurted out, but I've done so many bad things. I responded, Allegra, God knows all about it, and that's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for all of your sins and to bring you forgiveness and hope. I was explaining the gospel to ears that were willing to hear and a heart that was willing to receive. Do you see how this man took a normal conversation Honestly, one that most of us probably would have tried to get out of because we wouldn't want to take the survey. And he just asked questions of the questioner. He got to know her. And when he saw her need, he, her need to not be abandoned, but to be accepted and loved, he was able to show her how Jesus could meet the very deepest of her needs. Well, I'm going to take some time to do something that you may not have expected this morning. I'm going to tell you how not to share the gospel. I've been a Christ follower for over 50 years, and I, I own and have read a number of books on evangelism. I've listened to a lot of sermons and podcasts on the subject, and I've tried many of them, some of them with some success and some with seemingly no success. I say seemingly because we never know what God is doing. And what I've learned is that I don't believe that there is only one way or even just one way that's the best way that works for any Christ follower trying to share the gospel. And I say that from the other point of view, from the person hearing the gospel. There's not just one best way for somebody to actually hear the gospel presented to them. But I do think there are at least three ways that everyone should avoid. The first one I'm going to call the bounty hunter. The bounty hunter wakes up in the morning ready to explain the basics of Christianity to anybody and everybody, regardless of their interest. It really doesn't matter that it ha if he has any relationship with the person or not. The guns come out with both barrels blasting. Now, the positive side of this is that he will eventually get some results. By sheer force of numbers, a percentage will hear the gospel and respond. As my friend Herb says, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn once in a while. But the negative side is that many people are pushed away and may become more resistant to the gospel as a result. The bounty hunter feels the end justifies the means and therefore feels relieved of any guilt for his rudeness. He may even rationalize it by saying, well, the message of Christ is offensive to an evil world. There's a verse about that in the Bible. Without even stopping to realize that maybe it's not the message that's being offensive, 
It's him that's being offensive. Bottom line, bounty hunters are more concerned with decisions and numbers than with changed lives and relationships. Here's the second one. I'm going to call this one the egghead. The egghead is the opposite of the bounty hunter in many ways. In an attempt to not be overly zealous, the egghead focuses on discussing world religions. He is an expert in apologetics, but never gets to the bottom line, which is a decision to follow Jesus. This approach also has positives and negatives. The positive is that his method recognizes that there is a broad spectrum of human opinions, and he seeks to understand other people's point of view and takes care to communicate the point through dialogue. It's educational. The negative is that reason-centered presentations rarely work. People do not generally come to know Christ because they lost a debate. I often tell people that nobody was ever argued into the kingdom of heaven. The problem of sin isn't an intellectual problem. It's the result of rebellion against God. A decision for Christ is a crisis of the will. Now, that's not to say that apologetics doesn't have its place in evangelism. The effective use of reason helps demonstrate that Christianity is a reasonable faith. Once a person's heart becomes receptive to the gospel, apologetics can help clear away intellectual obstructions from the path to Christ. Now let's talk about the third one. I'm going to call this one the secret agent. Now let's be honest, this is the category that most of us fall into, right? A secret agent Christian rationalizes their lack of initiative by declaring themselves to be a silent witness for God. We hope that our lifestyle will do all the talking for us. It's almost as if we're waiting for somebody to walk up and say, I've been watching your life, and I'm interested in knowing how to receive Jesus as my Savior. Please tell me how to do that. Here's the problem with that approach. That never happens. Some people ask the question, well, which is more important to God, living right or boldly speaking the gospel? And the answer to that question is yes. They are both important. That's like asking a pilot which wing is more important on his plane, the left one or the, the right one. A plane has to have both wings or it will never fly. And a Christ follower must live a godly life and proclaim the gospel. Now, the positive of being a secret agent is that you never offend anybody. Also, it keeps us accountable to live a life of authenticity, integrity, kindness, and compassion. But if that is all we are doing, it comes at a terrible cost because it's a self-centered way of easing our conscience while shirking our responsibility that was given to us by Jesus. So, after giving all those bad examples, what is the best approach? I think it's the one that brings together the most effective elements of all three of these. Be transparent about your relationship with Jesus. Talk openly about your spiritual growth. Study other religions and engage people in thoughtful, respectful, and calm conversations, taking care to listen to and offer rational responses to questions. And definitely live a godly life that is a good testimony, but remember to verbally share the good news. At some point, once you have gained trust and have earned the right to be heard, get to the point which is the need to repent of sin and to accept God's gift of eternal life. 
Let me tell you how to share the gospel in four simple steps. This is actually found on the Billy Graham um, website. If you want uh, specifics for that, you can come see me afterwards or send me an email. The first thing is to tell them about God's plan, which is peace and life. God loves you and wants you to experience peace, and he offers life. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The second thing is to share our problem, which is our separation from God. Being at peace with God is not automatic. By nature, we are all separated from God. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is holy, but we are human, and we don't measure up to his perfect standard. We are sinful, and the wages of sin is death. And third, we need to talk about God's remedy, which is the cross. God's love bridges that gap of separation between us and him. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, he paid the penalty for our sins. The Bible says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. And then fourth, our response is to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You become part of God's family when you accept Christ's free gift of salvation. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the uh, right to become children of God. Now to receive Christ, a person needs to do these things. We need to admit that we're a sinner. We need to ask forgiveness and be willing to turn away from our sins. In other words, it's not just enough to be sorry for doing wrong things. We need to be repentant and turn from them. We need to believe that Christ died for us on the cross and to receive Christ into our heart and life. And Romans 10:13 says, "Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved." Now let me give you an example of a prayer that you can pray or use to lead somebody to Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In your name, amen. I hope today that you have been both encouraged to share your faith and have been instructed on how you can do that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this example of Philip and his obedience and the encouragement that we see in this eunuch's openness that is being directed by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the example that you've given us and also for the command that makes it clear to us what you want us to do, and that is to be prepared, to be ready, to be tactful, but to open our mouths and share the gospel with other people. We live in such a hurting world, Father, and we know that it is so important for us to get this good news to people so that they can be saved from a life of despair and from a, an eternity of judgment. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.